now for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, five, or five. What's up, listeners? I am your host, ex-video store clerk, undiscovered screenwriter, and fellow listener, Jason Kleberg, and this is Force 5, a show where I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list topic, and then we reveal our picks on air. I'm going to get straight to business on this one because me and Phil ran a little bit long, but that's because there are so many great One Crazy Night films, and Phil and I both put together some really killer lists for you, including a film I've been dying to talk about on this show, but for one reason or another, it's never come up, so today was the day. It's a really, really fun show, and we talk a lot about some really great movies, so please stay tuned for that. But first, I saw a film this week from 2023 titled Shortcomings. I was practically the only non-white person in my entire high school. And you never felt discriminated against? I definitely did, but not because I was Asian. Because of your inherent bad personality. Exactly. Do you remember that internship that I applied for? What about it? It's in New York. New York is overrated. It's so gentrified now. How many times have you even been there? Are we counting layovers? You always assume the worst about me, and then you end up acting crazy over nothing. I'm not acting crazy, so stop using that word. <gasps> You're just proving my point. Are you two, like, broken up? We're taking some time off. While the cat's away, the, the mouse, mouse will play with himself, probably. Shortcomings is a drama film that doesn't seem like it would be something I'd be interested in, but I wanted to see it for two main reasons. First off, I really like Randall Park, and this was his directorial debut. Second, most of it was shot where I live in Berkeley, California, and it's always fun when I recognize actual places in the films that I watch. Shortcomings is about a guy named Ben who starts to unravel in his insecurities when his girlfriend tells him that she's taking an internship in New York City, and it's time for a break. From her side, it's understandable, considering Ben's a fucking asshole. From frame one, you're going to wonder what she's doing with him, and by frame two, you'll wonder what anyone wants to do with him. He feels like this douchebag bred by the internet, one who willingly ignores sexual cues from his girlfriend to spend time with his Criterion discs, judges others while hypocritically engaging in the exact type of behavior he chides, and generally just walks around feeling disdain for others and the things they happen to enjoy. As the title suggests, the film does not hide its characters' shortcomings, nor does it revel in them. It just displays them for us and lets the characters be flawed. There's my favorite character in the film, Alice, Ben's queer serial dating friend who has a habit of running from her problems. Then there's Miko, Ben's girlfriend who has a problem being honest and feels trapped due to her pity for him, and a handful of memorable side characters, each with their own things that they're dealing with, for lack of a better word, which range from acute germophobia to liking nothing but Marvel movies. I had not seen the trailer before watching this, but I did after, and I highly recommend skipping it, because first off, it advertises the film as a comedy, which it is not. Now, that's not to say there aren't funny moments. A confrontation near the end of the film with a white person who speaks Japanese comes to mind. But most of the snickers you'll be making will be of the awkward type, because it's in... It's filled with uncomfortable sadness. Let's just put it that way. This is not a rom-com. It is a character study. Second, the trailer gives away a late-act twist that is way more effective if you go in blind. Now, I mentioned uncomfortable. There are two highly uncomfortable things about this film. The first is that you're probably going to see parts of yourself, hopefully past, but probably present, in somebody on screen. And when you sit there thinking, what an idiot, or what a piece of shit, well, it is time for some self-reflection. 
I cringed several times during this movie, thinking that's something a young me would have said, or wondering if I'd shown my wife the kind of love that she deserves lately. And the conversations about film here sound like something straight off film Twitter, and believe me, that's no way to live life. The second is just having to be around Ben for an hour and a half. He is an insufferable main character who slogs through life, dragging down everybody around him. About halfway through the film, you start to understand that the story isn't built around the journey of change, but rather hoping that he starts to see what a clueless prick he is. And this starts to come into focus in the third and final act when Ben finally decides to visit New York City, only to realize that everybody's lives are fine without him, and he might not be the main character in anyone else's story. All of the actors are great, but like I said, my MVP here is Alice, played by Sherry Cola, great name. She's a very matter-of-fact Berkeley grad student who understands exactly who she is and what her flaws are. As she says at one point in the movie, just because I'm a hypocrite doesn't make me wrong. She feels like a real person. And being from Berkeley, a lot of these people feel like real people, just not necessarily people I'd want to hang out with. But again, they feel lived in. The guys who work at the movie theater should give some listeners a chuckle. It's like seeing Reddit's movie Circle Jerk leaning on the concession counter. The exteriors shot in Berkeley were great. Again, it's one of the reasons I watched this movie, and hey, A-plus in that area. The Amoeba Records I shop at was featured, the Pegasus Bookstore that I pass by on a weekly basis, and several other streets and buildings that I'm really familiar with are highlighted here, so that's really fun. Randall Park, who, like I said, makes his directorial debut, proves himself a very confident and very competent director. And the script, adapted by Adrian Tomine, Tomine, I hope I'm getting that right, we'll say Tomine, from his own graphic novel is decidedly strong. While Park and Tomine stick closely to the Asian community, the film never falls into stereotypes or tropes, outside of poking a little bit of fun at them when it comes to, say, like Alice's parents. The story does touch on racial politics, but it's merely people sharing their points of view, which never feels like a filmmaker beating you over the head with an idea that they're trying to fill you with. Overall, this feels like a very human movie. It's well made, it's extremely competent technically. The trouble with recommending something like this, and stick with me here, is that everybody's going to get something out of it, but that something will certainly not be joy. It'll probably make you examine your own self-loathing and your shortcomings, and at the same time, a large portion of us are constantly doom-scrolling on the toilet, and I'm not sure that many of us need more of that. But then again, who knows? Maybe some of you need to go on the same emotional journey that Ben does. So that's shortcomings from 2023. I can't say that I liked it, although I did not have a bad time watching it. It's one of those films where if you're looking for a, a character study that's really not going to be lighthearted and fun, I would choose this, but I probably will not see it again. Before we get to top five One Crazy Night films with writer and podcaster Phil Escove, we need to check in with today's sponsor. Christmas is coming. Seriously, it's less than three months away, which means you need to start shopping soon. And if you've got a kid on your holiday shopping list, they're only going to want one thing, Princess Unicorn. It's Princess Unicorn! Wow! She's Princess Unicorn, royalty with a horn, wearing the prettiest gowns ever worn. She's so elegant, so regal. I love her horn! I love you. On Princess Unicorn, you can depend. My horn can pierce the sky. Princess Unicorn in stores now. Do not wait until Christmas. Shop early because this one will sell out. Get it now. I do have to read a couple of warnings that they told me to read off here. 
people who handle the Princess Unicorn toy must wash their hands after. Do not play with Princess Unicorn if you are allergic to lead-based paint. The spike on Princess Unicorn is incredibly sharp so that Princess Unicorn can pierce the sky. It can also pierce your eye. Handle with care. You must be two years of age or older to use Princess Unicorn. And finally, handle the Princess Unicorn wand with care. Actual magic used in the process of manufacturing may cause seizures, temporary or permanent blindness in one or both eyes, hallucinations, and or cardiac arrest. Now on to Phil on Top 5 One Crazy Night Films. Welcome back to the Force 5 Podcast. Today I am joined by returning guest Phil Iscove. He's a screenwriter and the co-host of Podcast Like It's and was on last, geez, what, like two years ago, episode 74, to talk <laughs> top five movies about writing. Phil, how are you today? Uh, you know, I'm good. I'm as good as uh, as I can be under the circumstances of a strike. You know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot's changed since then. Strike going on and, you know, seemingly no end in sight to this thing that's uh, just dragging on. They're talking about talking. So they're trying to set a meeting for hopefully sometime next week. Uh, and we shall see what that uh, what that brings. Um, the sooner the studios realize they've lost this, the better. But, you know, it is what it is. And we just have to keep doing it. It, I mean, you've seen it, you know it, everybody else I think has seen it. It's like a tiny, minuscule dent in the profit of these companies that they would need to give up to just get everybody back to work and start creating amazing content again. I remember we had a, we had a meeting in the very early days um, at, the, at the Shrine Auditorium with, with all of the writers or the majority of the writers. And one of our negotiating committee members said, um, this isn't about money, it's about power. Um, and every day that this continues, that becomes clearer and clearer to, to myself. And I'm sure I'm assuming to the rest of our members, it's an unnecessary thing. Um, it is creating pain, not just for the writers, uh, and the actors, but for all the crew that we feel terrible that they are unfortunately not able to be working either right now. Um, but you know, they want to, they want to ruin this industry. So, you know. It's tough, and it's entirely like unnecessary. But and, and it sucks that the that the crew members are also impacted by this because you know we, you can't make anything. And totally. On the other hand, it also sets them up in a great direction for when they need to come to the table later on and get paid what they deserve. Correct. Which will be, I, I believe, next year or the year after. I believe that they're going to be in a similar position. And um, I can only speak for myself, but I like to believe I speak for all the other guilds when I say that we will be there for them when uh, when that time comes. And I hope that they understand uh, what we're doing. Yeah, I want you to get back to writing again. And I want to sell <laughs> me, stuff too. you and me both. You and me both. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from the industry that's changed, you've also mm -hmm. had some changes with your podcast since we last talked. Indeed. Indeed. Since we last spoke, we, we wrapped up Kenny and I wrapped up 99. Kenny has been on your podcast as well, if I'm not mistaken. Indeed. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, Kenny's got four kids and we did 99 for five and a half years. So he, uh, understandably, um, felt it was a good time for him to, uh, mosey on into the sunset. Um, and I, uh, subsequently have paired up with, uh, Emily St. James, who is a tremendous writer, critic, uh, a brilliant mind when it comes to all things pop culture and media, um, We've been doing 92 for uh, since February, um, and uh, it's been a blast. Um, we're talking about a bit of a rebrand, which will happen conceivably sometime mid-next year. 
Um, but uh, as of right now, we've been, you know, we've been talking about the films of 1992, and we've had some tremendous guests, you know, from from S.D. Heim to Michael Hobbs to all sorts of people, um, talking about all sorts of films, everything from uh, uh, the Mighty Ducks to Malcolm X. <laughs> it was a, it was, it was quite quite the year, um, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's one of those years that you don't really it does it doesn't pop to the front of your mind when you think about great movie years, yeah. but then when you start digging into it, there are so many films that are just amazing. Have you covered the player yet from uh, Altman? Uh, we have not. We're going to be doing it soon. I'm actually going to see it uh, Sunday night. Nice. It's playing here uh, at a rep theater, so I'm going to see that on the big screen, which I never have seen it on the big screen, so I'm excited about that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's to your point, 92 is not a year that jumps front to mind when you think of like the great movie years, and I think that it was an opportunity for us to kind of split the difference between 89 and 99 and kind of find that middle ground a little bit um, to sort of see how the shifts happened. I mean, 92 has been really fascinating, I think, for us in terms of, um, you know, still a bit of a hangover from the 80s, still feeling the effects of the 80s. you know, we talked a lot. We had Karina Longworth on to talk about Basic Instinct and Consenting Adults, and she's uh, doing her brilliant podcast on the erotic 80s and erotic 90s. And to see sort of Basic Instinct make almost $400 million <laughs> at the box office is one of those, like, what? Yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> um, it's nuts. So, you, yeah, you're just kind of in this, like, weird slipstream, and it, it kind of evaporates almost 93 is when it really starts to go away because of sort of, you know, your Jurassic parks and your what have you's really start to take over. Um, but yeah, so the, 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 the whole like movies for adults, uh, a thing that, that uh, we seem to be not doing anymore. Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty special year. If you want to hear about Phil's favorite movies ever, go back to episode 74. We talked about it there. But I am curious, what are some of your favorite things that you've seen this year? doesn't necessarily have to have been released this year, but some of the favorite things that you've seen this year. Great question. Uh, Stuff that I have, uh, that was released this year that that jumps to mind, Past Lives, is a film that I adored. Um, I hope people seek it out. It's now on um, VOD. Uh, Really special movie. Um, Really loved that. Uh, I really loved um, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, um, yeah. which was also sort of a movie that that did not connect with audiences in the way that you know I would have liked in terms of people going to see it. Um, so those are two films that I, 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 I hope that people seek out. Um, in terms of movies that didn't come out this year that I've seen recently or hadn't seen before, um, me and a group of friends have been doing the AFI 100. We started during, doing it during the pandemic and we're still kind of you know, uh, clawing our way through them. Um, and and I watched uh, Easy Rider for the first time, which I had mm. never seen, um, which I was surprised by how um, sort of idiosyncratic and um, uh, sort of um, impressionistic it was. Like it It's was a weird just, it was, movie. I, I am, <laughs> it's a weird movie. I was, it was one of those things as, as I was watching it, I was reading an article about... Um, uh, post French New Wave and how it affected American filmmakers 
around the same time. And I feel like Easy Rider is one of those films you can point at and be like, yes. Like, I, I, I there's no question that, that, that Dennis Hopper was watching a bunch of, <laughs> you know, uh, French New Wave and was like, and it sort of filtered through his drug-addled mind, and that's what came out in Easy Rider. It's it's, it's pretty pretty amazing. So, all right, those are those are three really good films. Well, I haven't seen Past go. Lives, but I've heard a lot about Past Lives. Everybody says it's good. Um, I think Jen Howell, like on just two episodes ago, she brought that up as one that I got to see. So, totally on the list. Yeah, really, really wonderful. All right, Phil. Um, I've been asking this of every writer that's been on my show. The answers are always really great. And ever since I started asking this of people, I regretted that I didn't think of it last time I had you on. So here's my second chance. Oh, okay. All right, great. If somebody said, all right, Phil, you got all the money in the world, all the time in the world, and you can write something for any property that you want. Could be a TV episode, could be a film, could be a book. What property would you choose to write to write something about? Okay. <laughs> Tough question, That's, I know. So, I mean, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard question. I mean, my, my gut reaction is that my favorite book is The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon, um, which uh, there have been many valiant attempts to adapt himself <laughs> himself and him and his wife and, like, oh, wow. all sorts of people. Um, so I, I, am, uh, I, I, I don't suggest that I would be better than them at adapting said material, but that is one of the things that one of the, you know, if there was a book, that would be one of them. Um, you know, uh, this this is going to sound strange. Um, uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, the Smashing Pumpkins album, is one of my favorite albums. And I feel like there's a show there. Um, I feel like it's kind of bursting with ideas and um, is just sort of this really kind of... I mean, an unwieldy album that feels kind of like bigger than it's than than it can be contained. So um, that would be one of the things as well. That is a really interesting answer. I've never had anybody answer that question with an album. And wow, yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. That was one of my favorites in high school. Like, yeah, amazing double double album there. Yeah, and it's I, yeah. It's it's infused with so much sort of like magic realism and and also like these really grounded characters and and a lot of sort of big ideas and I don't feel as though we do that enough as a as a uh, an industry. Um, we make a lot of movies or shows about the making of an album or the band that made the album or the you know the the more sort of terrestrial. I think there's something very. Um, uh, I, I think perhaps lyrics being as poetic as they are can seem unadaptable quote-unquote yeah. which i think is um uh short-sighted that's awesome that's uh something i never thought of there you go all right as we transition into our topic here have you ever written a one crazy night film or or tv episode um i mean i guess i technically did i i want to i also just want to say um that the 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 subject of one crazy night i think i want to kind of contextually say that crazy yeah <laughs> has this kind of like wacky kooky kind of thing which i understand and most of my picks i think fall into that category that being said crazy doesn't necessarily need to be funny <laughs> like oh, yeah, so yeah. definitely know, uh, <laughs> i think that um to answer your question, I wrote an episode of Station 19, which uh, took place in a blackout, and it was all over the course of one evening. Um, 
and it was sort of about uh the various kind of things that were going wrong in this apartment building and this man that was on life support and like all this kind of stuff um that 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 technically i think would fall into the one crazy night category the last thing that i wrote is a one crazy night thing and the thing that i'm re- working on now is a one crazy night thing so that's funny. I was like okay there you go i didn't even realize <laughs> that i didn't even think about it until you brought up the topic and i'm like oh wow i like writing these too it i i have to be honest too like when i came up with it when i thought of the topic i was like that should be fun and then i looked up online like you know one crazy night and i was like this is really hard so like doing five was i was like fuck this is actually gonna be quite difficult (laughs) yeah i i actually wrote this down i said a topic like this is so easy to come up with five great films but it's so hard to narrow it down to the five that you want to display because it's like there's so many and like you said they can be kooky comedies they can be horror movies they can like there's so many different genres that have the one crazy night thing did you put any constraints on yourself or parameters when you were trying to limit your list you know i'd be lying if i said that i did but i do think as i so like i have 10 there's five honorable mentions and there's five that are like these are the five um I think that there, if I'm being completely honest, there were two that immediately I was like, when I came up with the idea and when you were like, let's do it, I was like, these two have to be on the list. And then as I was kind of combing through my library and going online, I was like, okay, there's some that I didn't even really think were one crazy night. Sure. And then was like, yeah, they completely are. And now, now I'm like, and it starts fucking with your <laughs> metrics. It, starts, it, was, it, was, it was tricky. Yeah, this is uh this is one that I really had to put some constraints on. So first <laughs> off, I for myself I disqualified slasher films. Oh yes, yes. I guess I did that too. Yeah. There are so many slashers, yeah, that like Halloween is technically one crazy night. Had to get that off. And then uh aside from one, I disqualified siege films. <laughs> okay. Uh I, I broke yeah. my rule with with one because I just I had to have one on there because I love it so much and it's never made a list before. Really? Okay. All right. Yeah, so there is one on there, but I also made the caveat that it had to take place literally at night because there are like crazy day to night movies that I did disqualify. Yes, I did. I did that, too. I, I think that's 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 only it's only fair. Yep. And then for my list, it was normal people who had normal things going on without the thought of danger. So for me, something like and and. If either of these are on your list, you can let me we no, can cut yeah, it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think of what that looks like, but okay. So something like From Dusk Till Dawn, for example, for me, mm-hmm. did not make my list mm-hmm. because those guys were already into trouble. And if they didn't end up at that vampire bar, they probably still would have gotten into some shit. Or something like Don't Breathe, which is an amazing, you know, one crazy night film, but it's also they're mm-hmm. breaking into somebody's house. So the the characters had to have known that there was some danger involved. For my list, it was like the characters start the movie with no thought of any violence or any nuttiness happening. Are, are, you mean our heroes are our protagonists? Right, correct. What you're saying, right? Yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah, I think that, yes. I think I have one film on my list, uh, it, and it's a it's a um, an honorable mention, that I think might possibly dip his toes into, into that. Yeah. But for the most part, I think I tried to be as terrestrial as I could be about it if that makes sure. sense. I don't think any any of my films of the 10 are outside the realm of possibility if that makes sense. Like there's no horror supernaturally kind of stuff yeah. um which I think 
would have tipped it for me a little bit. Like I again, I think we both are sort of the the crazy component of this topic is in quotation marks to some degree, right? And yeah. I think that that can there's all sorts of places you can go with that, but I think to your point, I wanted to make sure that this all felt grounded. Yep. So we're on the same page there. I think that's yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, Phil is cover. You ready to get into this list? I'm ready. Let's do it. You know what's gonna happen? Mm. You know what's happening here right now? Huh? You know what's gonna happen? No, 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 no. Words? No. You just made the list. Top five. Top five. The top five. All right. How many? How many do you think we'll cross over on? How many do you think we'll match on? My guess is at least two. Too. Okay. I, I I feel like I could be wrong. There's just I personally think that there's like I I imagine I could be wrong that both our number ones might be the same in terms of like the unquestionable one that comes to mind when you think of this. But I could be wrong. Who knows? Well, I left a huge one off of my list with the hopes oh, wow. that you would pick that up and, and okay. Run with it. Well, so, then maybe that's maybe that's one. Okay, all right. We will see. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess one. I think there's one that I can guarantee is on your list just based on your sensibilities. I'll be surprised uh-huh. if it's not. We'll see. Yeah, I I I think we might be thinking the same one, but we'll see. <laughs> all we'll right. See. Um, well, you're the guest. Do you want to go first, or you want me to to roll in? You go first. All right. Starting things off here, and I'm gonna do I'm gonna do something that uh, one of my favorite authors, Dwayne Swierzynski, was on the show recently, and he did a thing where he, he he's like, I go to the New Bev all the time, and they show like some trailers to to show you like what the movie could be. So I'm gonna start off with three trailers that would that would precede this, and oh, we're gonna see if you okay. can guess what movie okay. based on like the themes this. here. So it's a little game here. So the trailers that would run in front of this, we've got mm-hmm. Pan's Labyrinth. And then we've got The Many Saints of Newark, the Sopranos movie from 2021. Okay. Sure. And then the Everyone's th- favorite movie. <laughs> the, third, <laughs> the third trailer, Carlito's Way. So we've got Fairy Tale. We've got yeah. New Jersey Gangsters. Uh-huh. And we got Cops in a Little Deep. Jesus. This is this is one of my deeper cuts on my list. So it might not be Yeah, I mean, I, but it's <laughs> it's less even it's how Des- disparate these three trailers are oh, yeah. that I can't they're all little pieces of this of this movie. I'm okay. You know what? Judgment Night. Close. Close. Okay. Well, this, I tried. This is Running Scared from 2006. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so now now that you know it's Running Scared, I'm sure those pieces kind of come together a little bit more. They do make a little bit more sense now, yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. The guy was a cop. Joey. Get rid of it. I try to live an ordinary life, but I run with a very dangerous crew. And it's my job to clean up the messes they make, no questions asked. It was all working out for me. Go wash up, those hands are scary. The way I figured it, what my family doesn't know won't hurt them. Until that night. Get down! Are you okay? The night someone took that gun. You took the ride out. I'm gonna find that gun. Cause I got the toughest mob in the world. I'm the law. It's not just any hot piece. Tommy used it to burn a dirty cop. If they find it, I'm dead. Calm down. You can get to it before the cops do. You got something that belongs to me. Snub nose 38, you just scored in a card game. Royal Flush put her in my pocket. 300 cold puts her in mine. The gun is on the street. The Russian mob is involved. This whole thing is about to blow up. (laughs) 
So this is a movie about a guy named Joey. He's a low-level mobster, and he's given a real easy job. All he's got to do is dispense of a gun used in the killing of a dirty cop. So they give him the gun. It's in a plastic bag. He goes home for dinner because it's pasta night. Dude's ready for spaghetti. And, uh, you know, he walks downstairs. He's like, I'm going to... I'm going to do something with this gun later. So he puts it in a box, but he doesn't realize that his kid and his kid's friend are downstairs and they see him put this gun in this box. And the friend Oleg takes the gun on his way out to deal with his abusive dad. Okay. And he shoots his dad. He doesn't kill the dad. So Joey hears the shots. He runs over across the street, finds the dad uh, bleeding, and he describes the gun to Joey. And Joey's like, shit, that's the gun I need to dispose of. So the rest of the movie is Joey trying to track down Oleg and this gun mm-hmm. as Oleg runs into like, he, this kid's maybe 12 and he runs into the absolute bottom rungs of society as he's moving from place to place. Pimps, hookers, drug dealers, crackheads, gangsters. And it starts to feel like a twisted, grimy fairy tale that never lets up once it starts. Um, Wayne Kramer shot this movie. It's really, um, it feels like a video game almost the way it's shot. Okay. And it's got some really great camera work, really great camera tricks. Uh, Joey is played by Paul Walker and it's his, definitely his best performance. In my opinion, he gets to display some range. He's goes to some emotional depths. Have you seen running scared? I've not seen this film. Okay. Uh, I, 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 I've, heard of it like as you were describing it i was like okay i have a vague recollection of this film existing it's a very underseen film i wouldn't say it's underrated because people who have seen it generally really do like it but Mm -hmm. there there i don't want to go too much into these since you haven't seen it but there's some really insane stuff with this really nice couple that uh takes in oleg at one point and they appear to be this really nice, really sweet family. And that scene becomes about as tense and as gross as films can get without showing you anything oh, wow. graphic. Okay. And then <laughs> there's a scene in this movie where Paul Walker is forced down on the ice with men holding him down in a, in a hockey rink after hours. And people are shooting pucks at his face to get him to talk. It is that kind of movie. I feel like, I don't know why, but the hockey thing feels like something I I remember reading about or something. I can't really remember, but yeah. It's uh, Vera Farmiga's in here as uh, Paul Walker, Joey's okay. wife, and uh, Chaz Palminteri's in here. It's, it's a really, really good movie about a guy who just thought he was going home to have dinner, and then all of a sudden, things went south. And that's all I can say about it without giving more away. But I really recommend Running Scared from 2006. I will I will add it to my list. I will check that out for sure. Yeah. Well, now it's it's no no uh no wonder why you didn't get the three clues because there's... Yeah, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you really have to see that one to, <laughs> to know. It's true. It's true. Yeah. All right, uh, Phil, number five for you. My number five is a film that I feel like... When it came out, didn't really get the love that I think it deserved. And I, I don't know if it was because um, of the subject matter. I don't know if it was because um, of its release, which felt a little bit kind of, um, you know, when we get into award season, you often have those films that like 
they don't have a ton of money or the studios don't want to put a lot of money into it. So they kind of slotted in for Academy Award consideration and, you know, a limited release and like right around Christmas in the hopes that it'll get people talking. Um, and this film just didn't. And I, I, I think that its esteem has only grown and grown in the years since. But uh, my number five is 25th Hour. Everything's gotten so strange, Bob. The only people I trust are you and guys I grew up with. What do we say to them? We'll say nothing. He's going to hell for seven years. What am I going to do? Wish him luck? Champagne for my real friends and real pain for my sham friends. Can't believe you brought my student in here. You haven't done anything wrong yet. What do you mean yet? She's the only girl I've ever kept fantasizing about after I slept with her. Is that normal? That's a pretty good kind of normal. We haven't talked about this at all. You know, this is our last night. It's not our last night. My last night. I watched him ruin his life. The last 10 years, I've been watching him get deeper and deeper. I look at these people around me, and I, I'm thinking, these are my friends? I don't even know these people. He doesn't trust me. What reason does he have not to trust you? The Spike Lee um, directed David Benioff, scripted based on his book, uh, with Edward Norton, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Anna Paquin, Barry Pepper, Rosario Dawson. Basically, the film um, is about a uh, a drug dealer, Monty, played by um, Edward Norton, who gets busted, and it is about his last day before he's about to go to jail. Um, and he knows that he's going to jail for, I think his minimum is like seven years or something along those lines. It's, 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 it's enough time. <laughs> yeah, he's going away for a bit. Um, and... He knows he's going to a, a fucking, you know, shithole prison where he's not going to be the same person when he comes out. Um, and these last thing it's called the 25th hour because it's the last 24 hours that he has. Um, and uh, it's beautifully shot. It's really well made. And I think the reason that I put it on this list, for me anyway, is you really feel the presence of time that this guy knows that come tomorrow morning, the, the party's over. And you really sense not just the guilt that weighs on him, but the stupidity of it. Like, he hates himself for being this fucking dumb. For, for leaving the money in the sofa when he knew he could have put it. He could have invested it with, his, with Barry Pepper. He could have done any number of things. Um he he just he hates himself for letting this happen to him um and it has i think one of the best endings of a movie in the sense that um his father's played by Brian Cox and his father as he's driving him to the prison basically gives him the fork in the road and says i'll take you out of town you can change your name. You can change your life. You can go live in some, you know, border town in Texas. You can change it all, and you can fix this. And then Rosario Dawson can come and find you in a couple years, and it can all be okay. And you're watching this thing, and you're convincing yourself that this is possible, that this guy actually can fix this, when you know full well that his father's probably driving him to prison. And it, it is, it, it's a really, I, I love a fork in the road ending where the audience has to make a choice. And I it's, I think is one of the best ones. This is a film that I think I probably need to reassess because I have only <laughs> seen it one time. 
It was sure. in the, the theater when it came out, and I remember not enjoying it that much walking out of it. But again, when <laughs> when this when did this come out? It was uh, 2002, 2003. Yeah, I mean, 20 years ago, you're completely a completely different person. So I, I think this deserves <laughs> yeah a, a rewatch for me to check it out again. It's got a, an amazing cast. It's an amazing cast, and I'll just say one last thing. You know, it came back into my head earlier this week when it was the anniversary of September 11th. Mm. I think that this is the best September 11th film that's ever been made um, because A, it's not on its face about September 11th, right? Like Barry Pepper's penthouse is next to Ground Zero and there's an amazing sequence where you see Ground Zero. But fundamentally, this film is about Spike Lee making his 9-11 New York movie. How did this affect all these people? What does what does it all look like after that? It's it's so that was kind of it was back in the top of mind over over the past week, which is I'm another reason why it's on this list. All right, that's uh 25th hour from Spike Lee from 2002. Okay, um, my number four. Here are my trailers. This one I think is going to be a little bit easier for you. Okay, good, good, good. We've got a trailer for 1997's The Game, directed by David Fincher. Mm. We've got Clue from 1985, mm. and then we have mm-hmm. Date Night. I mean, I'm assuming it's Game Night. It is Game Night. Yes, Game <laughs> Night from 2017. Are you? Have you seen Game Night? Love Game Night. It is. It is in my ten. All right, awesome. Guys, what do you say we do this at my house next week? This will be a game night to remember. Oh, boy. Mm. Tonight, we're taking game night up a notch. We don't need a board, and we do not need pieces. We won't need any extra rudeness, either. Someone in this room is going to be taken. Oh, it's a murder mystery party. Fun! Whoever finds the victim wins the grand prize, the keys to the stingray. Just the keys? No, Ryan, the whole car. Oh, yes! I just want to wish you the best of luck tonight. Bye. Baby, hand me those matches. I'm about to burn this door down. You're going to light a fire in a windowless room that we're trapped in. Why you got to make my idea sound stupid? You're not going to know what's real and what's fake. Is this gun real? Oh, oh no, Andy. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Oh, my God, I shot you! What the f- yeah, this is uh, directed by John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. I mm-hmm. uh, I described this movie as way better, way better than it needed to be in every single way. Than it has any right to be. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. If you've never seen Game Night, it's about a group of friends who get together all the time. They have game nights. They always kind of uh, have, they, they trade houses to have these game nights at. And one of the mm-hmm. couples, Max and Annie, they're extremely competitive. They met during a game night. And so these game nights are very special to them. And they're intrigued when Max's older brother comes into town. And his his real hobby seems to be humiliating Max. <laughs> but he comes into town and he's like, I'm, you guys can come to this house I'm renting. It's amazing. And I will host the next game night there. The winner is going to get my Corvette. And the Corvette, of course, happens to be Max's dream car. So he and Annie are like, we're going to win this thing. So they go to his house for this game night. 
two masked men enter the house. There's a huge brawl. They kidnap Brooks, and nobody's doing a thing because everybody there assumes it's part of the game, which is an amazing scene. They're just watching his brother get torn up, and he's he's telling him like, "This isn't part of the game," and you know they're they're just eating popcorn and, and laughing. And so they're sitting back, and and then Brooks is taken, and everybody splits up, assuming it's part of the game, and their thing is to find him and win this car. Well, it turns out that Brooks is a black marketeer, and throughout the night, these couples and as a group deal with fight clubs, shootouts, Fabergé eggs. It's just such an amazing combination of so many different things. It's so funny, and I'll get to some of that in a minute because the humor in this, it's it's definitely one of the funniest movies I've seen in the last 10 years. It's got a real feeling to the stakes. And I think something that's cool is that a lot of the set pieces in the movie are based on games that you would play at game nights. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, there's a scene where Annie is trying to remove a bullet from Max, and it is Operation. And he's got this little toy ducky in his mouth (laughs) to bite on. Squeezing, just like the sound would happen in in Operation. (laughs) Hot Potato with the Fabergé egg slash tag. There's a a reference to Django where you have some people stacking chairs to, to try and get out of a skylight. Um, even the the tilt shift focus that they do in the cinematography, like during transitions, it's so well shot. Yeah, it yeah. makes the game look like, or it makes the movie look like the game of life, which is, it's amazing. And there's so many great people in the cast. Jason Bateman is is always funny to me. Ever since Arrested Development, he's been one of my favorite deadpan comedic actors. Totally. Yeah. But Rachel McAdams is so funny in this movie there's a a line where oh he died yeah oh he died and then there's one where she's like don't kill me i have kids at home and, and the guy says not with that ass you don't she's like oh, oh thanks thanks <laughs> and then he's the one that's swallowed by the plane engine yeah yeah it's <laughs> it's i mean i i did an episode of my double feature patreon with uh liz hannah and her husband ben milliken and they picked game night and 22 jump street uh, so we kind of compared those two films, compared and contrast them. Uh, so I watched Game Night, I don't know, probably less than six, eight months ago, something like that. And watching it again, I was just like, this movie is so fucking good. And like, it did well, but like, it should have been a huge hit. And oh, I yeah. think that, again, it's one of those movies that like, it did well enough and whatever. But like, the the way people talk about it now is understandably one of the best comedies of the last decade. No doubt, no doubt. And we didn't even mention Jesse Plemons, whose character Gary, the next door neighbor, is one of the funniest oh characters. God. Like, the, how does the... Frito Lay make any money off of that deal? <laughs> yeah, how is that profitable for Frito Lay? And <laughs> like, the movie never lets up with the jokes, including the end uh, credits, which play through a board in Gary's basement that has so many payoffs and callbacks to the stuff that you saw before that. And then one of the credits in the film, one of the credits is not Denzel. That's the character's name in the credits. <laughs> Just amazing. I mean, the guy looks enough like Denzel, <laughs> but he's not Denzel. Like, it is... It's He drove a oh. BMW. What series? Three? Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a really, really, really funny movie. And everyone is incredibly well cast. You know, Sharon Horgan, who's amazing. Oh, and, yeah. Um, uh, oh my Billy God, Magnuson. Why am I a blank? That's who's Billy Magnuson. Yeah. Who's just <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, it, it, it's a really, yeah, it's a very special movie. And it is, you know, uh, quintessentially 
built to be one crazy night too so it does feel like it just enhances the game like component of it exactly all right uh number four for you so this was it's a tough list man i i mean my number four um is i would argue kind of the the tip of the spear when it comes to uh teenage one crazy night movies um george lucas's american graffiti is very much sort of built in that shaggy hangout movie type vibe um that another film i have on my top five also falls into of just being very sort of incredibly well cast with the deepest bench of amazing young talent at the time um and it's it's so kind of um plotless for lack of a better way of putting it where you're just like it's a bunch of kids and they're cruising they're just in their cars driving around la driving around california um getting burgers uh trying to make out with their girlfriends (laughs) vice or boyfriends um you know it just feels so lived in and part of it has to do with the fact that um that lucas it's all very handheld it's all shot I don't know if it was 35. I'm imagining it was, but like, it also feels like it could be super 16 at times as well. It's all kind of naturally lit for the most part. It's a lot of like, you know, headlights lighting people's faces and street lights. And it all just feels very much how it feels when you're a kid where you're, you're basically too young to go to bars Um, but like malls don't really exist yet. And it's like, what are, you know what I mean? Like, what are we supposed to be doing with our time? How do we, how do we kill a Friday or Saturday night? Um, yeah, I just, I, I really adore it. And, and it, it also has, um, I would argue one of the like kind of most brutal gut punch endings of a movie as well in the epilogues that we see on the screen of what happens to these kids as they grow up. One goes to Vietnam and dies. One dies in a car crash. One becomes an insurance agent. Like, all of these things, um, the movie just feels so uh, human um, and also incredibly funny. I mean, the cast, you know, Ron Howard, Richard Dreyfus, Harrison Ford in one of his first roles. Oh, yeah. Um, I forgot he was in there. It's, it's, it's just a very... Um, you know, all American movie, but doesn't round the edges off of it. Um, yeah, I just, I, I think it's, I think it's a really special movie. So this is one that I have not seen before. And oh, really? Yeah. And so my wife and I were, we went to a, a Greece showing like a couple weeks ago, and they played this trailer, and they said this is coming back in theaters for a couple nights only. Like you got to check it out. And my wife and I, my wife turned to me and she's like, I want to see that movie. It's like I've always wanted you to see. It. I've just never gotten around to it so yeah we're gonna go see that it's i i you know it, it predates greece i want to say um forgive me if i'm wrong um but those films do feel kind of synonymous one being this i mean greece is a super heightened musical right where a car just flies off at the end and everyone's just waving at it and you're like okay i guess that's <laughs> i guess that makes <laughs> sense in this universe um and american graffiti is just uh yeah, I think you'll really dig it. I think that um, especially if you're a fan of that type of movie, 
um, you're going to see a lot of the DNA come from American Graffiti. Sure. So. Yeah. And I, I do love those kind of movies. Hollywood Nights is one of my favorite movies sure, of that sure, style. Sure. And I think it's probably yeah. along the same lines. All right. My number three here. Um, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see if you can get it from these trailers. I know that you know of this movie. I don't know if mm. you've seen this movie, but the first trailer mm-hmm. that would play is Trespass, which I think is 92 mm. with uh, mm-hmm. Bill Paxton and uh, Ice-T. Have not seen. I have not seen Trespass. I know of it, but I've not seen it. Okay. Second trailer would be Deliverance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the third trailer would be Very Bad Things. And the the connection here, we've got Trespass, which is like uh, urban. You're in a place where you shouldn't be. Mm. Deliverance is the city boys that get it, like they take the the wrong mm-hmm. turn. And then very bad things is Jeremy Piven continuously making decisions that make everybody's life worse. I mean, my, I'm going to go with Judgment Night a second time. Nailed it. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Judgment Night is a hair-raising, heart-stopping, nail-biting film. Come to the neighborhood, boys. An absolute must-see. We saw a boy get murdered tonight. And if they catch us, they're going to kill us too. A non-stop trip that leaves you breathless. I get a wife little girl and i will get back to them tonight action packed edge of your seat excitement you better believe it judgment night rated r starts friday at theaters everywhere yes judgment night have you seen judgment night i saw judgment night probably uh around the time that it came out on video yep i have a vague recollection of it 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 is one of those movies that like there's another movie i have on here in my uh, in my uh, honorable mentions, which we'll talk about after, but like, there's something about that in over your head, the scariness of um being in over your head, and what what am I gonna do, and how can I get out of this, and um, yeah, which which I think is very real, no matter your class distinction or where you fall, and I, I just think like. I've been in the situation. I'm sure you have too. Never to the point of judgment night, but you turn down the wrong road and you immediately are like, I need to get off of this street as soon as is humanly possible. Um, It is, it is, it is pretty terrifying. (laughs) I gotta be honest. It's pretty scary. It's playing on those fears that it's, it's set in Chicago. And I guarantee you, if you ask like 40% of the population right now, they think Chicago is this. (laughs) <laughs> what they see in this movie sadly that's true. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah um yeah. you know they think every big city is like this you take a wrong turn and you are going to be murdered even though yep. you know yep. you walk yep. around la every day and i walk around san francisco every day and we're fine sure sure but yeah. uh yeah. <laughs> the way the story is set up is you have four guys that are on their way to chicago to watch a ba- uh, boxing match and mm-hmm. they are rolling in style jeremy piven has i i think he rented it but he, he he basically like he's got a trial it's an period. RV, right? Yeah, yeah, it's an RV. He's got a trial period with this amazing RV. <laughs> so they're rolling in style, and uh, you got style. Well, yeah, style. But like inside, <laughs> it's really nice. So they have a lot of good sure. stuff, like all the amenities. Sure. So that's that's where yeah, they're yeah. where they're going. And uh, you've got Emilio Estevez in there as like the the guy whose wife just had a baby, and they're. It's like, I kind of feel guilty going, but I do need sure. a night with the guys. And then you have uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. He's his best friend. 
And Stephen Dorff plays Frank's younger brother. He's kind of the fuck up of the family. Shocking in the casting of Stephen Dorff. <laughs> yeah. And then Jeremy Piven is the same kind of character that he always seems to play. This douchey, uh, like smarmy rich guy. And sure. so they're driving and they're running a little bit late and they run into traffic. And so they decide to take the uh, off ramp. And he's like, I'm going to find another way there. Mind you, these are the days before GPS. These are the days before you can print out a map quest, right? Yeah. So he's like, we'll figure it out. Now, it should have been a sign that there are so many people that are sitting in traffic and not one of these Chicagoans are taking this exit. But they decide, you know, <laughs> what, we're going to take it. And you see the RV just kind of disappear off the off ramp. And they are arguing. It's getting dark. And they run into a guy who's crossing the street. And here's our first like moral dilemma where you see Piven as kind of this guy who's like, let's just drive away. Nobody saw us. Yeah. Uh, everybody else is like, no, we, we got to check on this guy and see that he's okay. So they check on him and they realize he was shot before they ran into him. So they take him into the RV, try and figure out what's going on. And he has this paper bag full of money. And then we see a couple of thugs come. They come to the RV. They drag this guy out of the RV. They take him down the block, and Fallon, play, he's like this crime lord played by Dennis Leary, just chewing screen in this movie. He kills the, the guy, and then he basically says, no witnesses. And the rest of this movie is these four guys trying to get away from Fallon and his goons throughout the urban jungle that is this part of Chicago. Uh, great cast, and... There's a scene where Piven starts negotiating. Like, everybody is running from these guys. And at some point, Piven, who's the most out of shape of the group, he's like, I can't do this. I got to try and figure out another way. And he tries to negotiate his way out of it. And it's some of the greatest dialogue exchange that that I've seen in a long time. I rewatched this maybe four months ago. It's really something to see Piven try and talk his way out of, of this Anything, situation. quite frankly. I mean, as is Piven's want. <laughs> exactly. You're pretty good. What's your name? Ray. Ray. Right. Yeah. You're a good negotiator. Because you didn't even lowball me. I'm going to come in here and lowball you? Forget about that. Well, you know, because the thing is, i got to trust you. There's the payment of the money, and then, then there's your friends keeping their mouths shut, you know. No, hold on. We're businessmen, both of us. We have an understanding. Oh. Let me tell you something, uh, Ray. You don't understand shit, okay? Nothing. Guys like you gotta keep checking your pants to see if you got a dick. I got one. You and your friends are the kind of spoon-fed fucking fruit bait that I fucking hate! I don't think he understood me. Shut the fuck up! You speak when fucking spoken to, okay? This is not fucking high school, motherfucker. I'll eat your fucking friends for fucking lunch. You know who we are? No, you have no fucking idea, do you? No, tricks like you, you just sail through life reading about people like me in the newspaper. Hey! You're in a different place now, motherfucker. Yeah, $100,000 might buy you out of North Shore down here, pussy, that means shit. This is my fucking world. This film is is most known now, I think, for its soundtrack. I was just going to say. Which is, <laughs> yeah. it's bizarre what they did. So for this soundtrack, they took grunge groups and they took rap groups and they merged them for every song on the soundtrack for original pieces. And the the bands on here are amazing. Uh, I got some written down here. So Helmet and House of Pain have a song together. House of Pain also has some people in the cast, in the thugs. Amazing. Uh, Teenage Fan Club and De La Soul. Living Color and Run DMC. Slayer and Ice-T. Sonic Youth and Cypress Hill. 
Pearl Jam and Cypress Hill, and uh, Mud Honey and Sir Mix-a-Lot had a song on there. <laughs> Oddly enough, there was a song recorded between Tool and Rage Against the Machine, but mm. neither band was happy with the result. And uh, you can find it on YouTube now and listen to it. It's not a bad song. And I think it would have played really well in the movie. If you watch it now for the first time, I don't think you're going to think it's a good movie. It's a product of its time. I it mean, is. in terms of, yeah, yeah. And this is one of those that we would rent from the video store when it was a sleepover with me and my friends when I was mm-hmm. 12 years old. And this is also one that we would bring home every once in a while when, you know, when I worked at the video store, like, oh, yeah, let's bring home Judgment Night. Um, it's just one of those movies. But the scenario that these guys get into, like you said, is that that is so relatable that I think about now when I'm on the road and there's just cars and I have GPS now and there's cars just for miles. And it's like, do I get off here? And the first thing that comes into my mind is fucking judgment night. (laughs) Just stay in fucking traffic. Yeah, it it, it is. It is one of those movies that like it is. It's really interesting because, you know, doing our 92 podcast, we have realized how like pretty low concept movies were for a really long time. Mm You know, and, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but, like, Judgment Night is literally just, what if you turned off the wrong road? Like, <laughs> what if it. you got yourself into a shitty situation? Um, you know, Bonfire of the Vanities has a somewhat similar conceit as well, the book and the movie, in terms of, you know, Rich Miser accidentally hit somebody with his car in a bad, you know, area of town and, like, whatever. Um, <clears throat> and, and I do think that... Uh, Around this time, which is your mid-90s, where it felt like the country felt good about itself to a certain degree, and the haves and have-nots, the the, the chasm wasn't as large, but you still had a lot of these guilty fucking boomer yuppies that were thinking about this a lot and being like, you know, do I deserve what I have, and is this okay, and you know, turning a blind eye to most likely minorities that do not have things as well as they do. These were all things that that, that, that I think that Hollywood, uh, the bleeding heart of Hollywood, were definitely thinking about um, and inject it into these kind of genre pieces, you know, where they can kind of turn the dials up a little bit and, yeah. and, and try to kind of explore those issues of class and race. And and I think I think it's a really good movie. I mean, again, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I really enjoyed it when I was a kid. And there's, there's a line about that in the film. I think Dennis Leary says something like, you think we're so fucking different from you? We're everywhere and we always live less than 10 miles from you. And it's, it's a great line. Yeah. It's a great line. Yeah. Yeah. So Judgment Night, number three for me. My number three is a movie that I didn't immediately think of when I was like one crazy night. And then, you know, in my perusing online and looking through my library, I was like, it's absolutely a one crazy night movie. Um, It's Die Hard. They've got the building. They have already killed one hostage. They've got the odds. They've got his wife. No, no! Now, he's got one night to get it all back. You really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay. Bruce Willis in 40 Stories of Sheer Adventure. Die Hard. Rated R. Now playing in selected cities. Starts Wednesday, July 20th at theaters everywhere. Yeah, uh, it's on my honorable mentions. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those films that... 
um, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I didn't sleep well. I would always wake up in the middle of the night. And I had, like, a handful of VHS movies. I would go into our TV room, and I would just, like put on one of these movies. Um, Die Hard was one of those films. I, I know it backwards and forwards. I've seen it innumerable times. Um, and as I was thinking about it in the context of this podcast, I do feel like it checks a box for me in my brain a little bit of, of, of the kind of action movie that's able to sort of compress time in order to make it feel so much more tense and so much more, um, quite frankly, exciting. Um, I, I think that I, I honestly think screenwriting 101, this script is fucking incredible. Like it is hundred percent, no pun intended, but it's bulletproof. Like this is a script that like does all the things that you're supposed to do in a movie. Um, and it does it so well. Um, and I, again, I, I, I sort not, not to beat a dead horse, but I do think that that time compression, which is what we're sort of talking about with all of these movies, I feel like it, it's always a good thing. It's, it's every movie, every television show, everything we watch is better if the time is compressed. First and foremost, as a writer, you know this as well, but like, it just saves you explaining shit, right? Yeah. We're just like, if this is all happening in a really condensed amount of time, so many questions by the audience go out the window, right? Like, they're just like, wait, wait, why is this? Like, what? all that shit goes out the window when you're just like, a bunch of fucking terrorists just took over a building and this cop has decided he's not going to fucking stand for that. This this New York cop is not going to stand for that. Uh, it also helps that <clears throat> his, his somewhat estranged wife is mixed into all of this as well. Like, the stakes are always dialed up when it happens in a short amount of time. People don't think about the fact that, like, look at Breaking Bad, a show that ran for six seasons, is basically compressed over the time i think it's like a year or a year and a half if that like that time compression of his illness mixed in with all these things allows you to just move at such a clip and Die Hard is one of those examples for me where it, it's just from the second it starts once the conceit starts of the you know the the terrorist getting out of that elevator you're just like game fucking on and the movie's like t maybe 15 minutes in maybe and you're just like, this thing fucking rules. <laughs> like, it's just... So, yeah, I just... In terms of the one crazy night of it all, I was just like, yeah, I mean, we don't even see... I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I feel like he lands around dusk, if I'm not mistaken. And we never see the sun go up. <laughs> like, it's just that entire fucking madness that happens at, at Nakatomi Plaza all happens over the course of like seven or eight hours. It's incredible. Yeah, this is one that uh, is honor honorable mentions. I absolutely love Die Hard. It's funny. I think the same thing about the script. It's one of those movies that I watch every year because it is a Christmas movie, no matter what some people try to argue against. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. And uh, so I watch it every year. And I remember this year when I watched it, I, I turned to my wife, who wasn't really paying much attention. And <laughs> I'm like, this is the perfect action movie. It is the perfect script. Everything that is set up is paid off. Everything is so well written and so tight. There's not a wasted minute. There's not a wasted line. Every character is fully fleshed out, even if they're in a very small role. Um, yeah, no, no arguments here. It's an amazing movie. 
when uh, when I was describing the the Piven negotiation scene, it's him doing the Ellis from Die Hard. <laughs> it's him being Ellis. McTiernan is one of those guys who, I mean, <laughs> uh, convicted criminal. He's got his his shit to deal with. So like that that that's and his, and it has affected his career unquestionably. But he is one of those guys that like when he was in the pocket in the kind of you know. 80s early 90s there was kind of no one doing it better than he was and i do feel like he just he understood where the line was in terms of like how playful you could be under the right circumstances and and which is so key to those 80s action films that are all walking a very fine line of like goofy campy stupid shit and he always kind of understood that i mean bruce willis also understands it like he understands how much fun to have with it um but that every man quality that bruce willis brings to not just this film but so many movies um priceless i mean you just it's it's the best i mean it clearly inspired so many movies after it It, this was the shift between your arnold uh invincible Mm -hmm. heroes and the Mm -hmm. john mcclain character that we've seen so many times after that absolutely all right, number two for me. This is one that I. This is the one that I think we would match up on. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So we'll see if these trailers tell the tale here. I. I don't know. The first mm. one is a little iffy. So, uh, the first one is License to Drive. So we've got our we've got our teenagers. Sure. The second sure. one is Home Alone, a one crazy night film that dire- is directed by Christopher Columbus. It is. It is. <laughs> and the third movie is Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Okay, so it's Adventures in Babysitting. Chris Parker thought babysitting would be easy. She thought wrong. Can we do that again? And now... Prepare for... I don't think your parents will ever ask me to babysit again. They do. I'd ask them for a buck more an hour. Adventures in Babysitting, right now. Sarah's probably hanging from the rafters by now. Which is in my honorable mentions. Oh, so okay. I don't know if we're... I mean, we're going to see whether we cross over. We probably um, won't then. <laughs> that's pretty crazy to me. Uh, but now I'm now I'm, I'm even more excited to see uh, what these are, what our final films are. Do, 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 your, do your best on Adventures in Babysitting. Well, I mean, you got to start off with don't fuck with the babysitter. Man. This... Or as uh, Disney Plus is fucking gotten rid of the swear word oh yeah and i'll talk about that in a minute (laughs) but uh you know chris columbus like i said home alone is is a great one crazy night movie i didn't include it number one it's made a list before but number two it's also uh like although there is one crazy night there's other things that lead up to that one crazy night adventures in babysitting is a goddamn classic it is about the 17 year old girl named chris parker played by elizabeth shue who now watching it does not at all look 17 but Man, I had a I mean, crush I had on such her. Such a crush! Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. it was, I mean, if you didn't, I don't know what was wrong with you. Yeah. But I'll also say I had a big crush on uh, Penelope Ann Miller in this film as well. Oh, so yeah. take that for what it's worth. <laughs> well, I mean, oh, she she's like so. What is even the word? She's just like cute. She's so cute, and I saw this when I was eight or nine, and it was instantly. Uh, I could understand where Brad, the kid in this movie, is coming from. So, so Chris. I mean, yeah. yeah. Chris heads over. She's she's got a options. It's it's her anniversary with her boyfriend, but he's kind of standing her up. So she's gonna go played by Bradley Whitford. Oh yeah, that's yeah, Bradley Whitford. There's a <laughs> lot of great character actors in here too, but uh, you know, clearly also not 17 at the time. So she goes over to babysit her eight year old neighbor Sarah, 
And Sarah does have a 15-year-old brother, Brad. He's supposed to be spending the night at his friend's house. But when he finds out Chris is coming over, he's like, Daryl, let's go to my house. So uh, they go to hang Darryl? out at the house, too. Daryl's classic. Daryl's not a name you hear anymore. <laughs> not not a lot much. of Daryl's anymore. Not too much. <laughs> and uh, so Chris is babysitting uh, the 8-year-old, and the, the other teens are there hanging out. And she gets a frantic call from her friend, Brenda, who ran away. She's at a bus station again in Chicago. Crazy nights in Chicago happening a lot on my list. <laughs> Shot in Toronto, but in Chicago. <laughs> yes. A lot of, they, they throw a bunch of trash on the streets in Toronto to, yes. to make it happen. Yes. And uh, so she packs all the kids up into the Anderson family station wagon to go get her. And things just get insane from there when their car gets a flat tire. So they end up dodging bullets because the guy who picks up their car, the tow driver, he finds out his wife is cheating on him. And goes to confront the guy, so windshield gets blown out by a bullet. They become witnesses in a multi-state stolen car ring. Doesn't the the tr- the the um sorry to interrupt you, but the uh, uh the tow truck driver doesn't he have a hook for it? <laughs> <laughs> Everything is like the weirdest thing it could possibly be in this movie. <laughs> they, they play at an African American blues club. On stage, they they are basically forced to play, and they reiterate the plot up to that point in the movie so far in their blues song, and it is amazing. And then they find themselves (laughs) in the middle of a gang fight on the L train. It is a really fun, really lighthearted movie that just screams 80s. This is the kind of movie that you would would watch at 11 then, and there's no way that a parent would let their 11-year-old watch this movie now. I think everybody in the movie is good. Elizabeth Shue, like we said, Ugh, definitely a best. highlight. She's so charming. Yeah. But Sarah, who's played by Maya Bruton, the 8-year-old, she's also great. I think everyone's pretty great in it. It is one of those films that, um, you know, you're talking about Elizabeth Shue, and her singing And Then He Kissed Me in the credits at the beginning of the movie. Oh, yeah. You're just like... I'm 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 in whatever this girl is up to. You, she's so winning and so charming and so watchable. Doesn't seem seventeen by any stretch of the imagination, but that's neither here nor there. Um, it, it is a very kind of wacky, crazy thing. But I also feel like, and we've—I mean, not to you know—but that fine line of too wacky, too goofy. It really treads really well on that tonal line of everything's heightened. It's a movie, right? Like to some degree, everything's a little bit big, but it never feels completely insane. Right. Even when you have a little girl <laughs> on the side of a fucking skyscraper, yeah. <laughs> you're just like, I don't know. This works. I'm, I'm, I'm. This is fine. Even when you've got Vincent D'Onofrio showing up as Thor, you're just like, you're just like. Sure. I mean, it, it it really is a sign of something we've lost, which is such a bummer. And I don't mean to be waxing nostalgic. You know, we're both around the same age. But, like, we really have lost that ability to be able to make movies like this. Movies that are um, thoughtful but silly. I mean, it's why I think Barbie hits so fucking hard mm-hmm, right now is mm-hmm. because people are desperate for a movie that has something to say but is also really beautiful and fun and silly and goofy. Um, so yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Adventures in Babysitting, one of the best One Crazy Night movies for sure. Fun and goofy, but also like with an edge. 
because that's I think that's one of the pieces that when I saw it connected with me so much. It was definitely the first time I heard fuck uttered on screen because I remember being like, oh, my God, I just heard that from somebody that wasn't my parents and and saw a centerfold. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the Playboy (laughs) magazine like has a big piece in the movie. And then the knife in the shoe is something that I'll always remember during the gang fight. Yep. Um, like you mentioned, don't watch this on Disney Plus because they they edited out lines of dialogue. They screw with the most iconic line. There was a remake in 2016 made for Disney. Don't watch that. And then uh, one other piece of trivia. I don't know if you if you knew that they shot a pilot for this in 1989. I didn't know that, but that makes sense. I don't know how you would stretch this into a season of television. I think, and again putting my stupid writer hat on for a second. <laughs> There's, there is a world where um, you could conceivably, um, you could make a season and then each season is a different babysitting. Sure. Right? Like a different evening, a different whatever. So conceivably you could do it that way maybe that's not what they were thinking in 89 oh, i can tell you that much so like i don't know that. what they were thinking back then but. no so the, the yeah. cast on that when it was shot jennifer guthrie played chris who was also in parker lewis can't lose <laughs> okay. and then J- joey lawrence played brad mm. and beverly hills okay. 90210 is brian austin green played daryl sure so those sure <laughs> that's your cast i mean I, I i can i can see that yeah Dude, I don't think we're going to match up on any of these. This is crazy to me that the, the my next two are not on your list, but we'll find <laughs> out. They might be on my honorable mentions. There's one huge one, well, really two that were on my list for the longest time and I was like, I hope Phil brings these up because if not, we're going to get a lot of shit. I mean, we're going to we're going to find out here. So, at number 2, I would argue the quintessential hangout movie. The quintessential teenage hangout movie. Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused. Finally, a movie with a good buzz. Okay. Dazed and Confused, a delicious portrayal of the generation between free love and safe sex. There's a new guest in the making as we speak. Interview Magazine gives it an A+. (laughs) The most honest and compelling film about high school yet. Rolling Stone magazine says it's hysterical, dazed and confused, rated R. Now playing at select theaters. Is, in my opinion, the bar when it comes to a bunch of fucking teenagers together just talking, right? Like, no one does it better than him. Uh, I even have another link later film that's also in my honorable mentions, uh, which was painful for me to not put in my five, but I, but I, you know, uh, this to me also feels like the one crazy night movie where everyone wanted to have a crazier night, but this is the crazy night they got stuck with. <laughs> like everyone wanted the big party. Everyone wanted the like, we're you know, you have the character who's having a kegger at his house until his parents find out that he gets busted. And then basically everyone's like, I guess we're just going to fucking do it in a park somewhere. Like it's just, it feels so real where you're just like, these kids want to be in a really crazy movie, and yet they're stuck being just fucking kids. And I think that that, to me, is just everything that this is about. Um, 
outside of my number one, which we'll get into obviously in a second. But I just think that, you know, Linklater's filmography is spotty. I'm not a person that will sit here and ride for, I would argue, probably a good swath of his movies. Um, I'm not going to sit here and ride for Where'd You Go Bernadette, for instance, a movie that truly doesn't even exist that, that is exactly your face. I've never even seen it. Never heard of yeah. it. It's, it's a wonderful book that was adapted. He It's Kate Blanchett. It's crazy. It's a crazy, crazy thing that that movie doesn't exist, but it doesn't matter. When Linklater's in the pocket and he's doing what he does so well which is just letting people be people. And the majority of our lives are you and your friends and your loved ones sitting around talking. <laughs> We're not like, that is what we do most of the time. You go on vacations, you go on adventures here and there, but most of the time you're either sleeping or you're just fucking talking. And I think that this movie of these kids right at a time where America is in this weird little malaise if you will it's post nixon pre-reagan in this like little kind of odd moment when no one really knows what the future holds and these kids are right on the cusp of like going to college and becoming adults and again compression of time these kids just in cars just being like what the fuck, man? The fucking <laughs> 70s suck, right? Like, it's just, it's all of them just, so I, I could watch this movie every day. Like, I, I, I honestly think it's, and talk about a cast. I mean, oh, yeah, my God, it's crazy. I mean, McConaughey and Ben Affleck and Parker Posey and like the list goes on and on and on of every sort of actor that was in an independent movie in the 90s comes out of this movie. Um, it's, it's really, I just, yeah, I could talk about it all day, but I absolutely adore this film. This is one that I have not seen for a long time. I have seen it. Yeah. Um, it's funny when you think about, when, when you say Dazed and Confused, a lot of people now associate that with McConaughey and his iconic line. But all right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. Like he's in the movie for, I don't know, a couple minutes. Yeah, 10 minutes. I'll be generous, 10, 12 he's minutes. really not a main character in this, in this movie. He's not, no. But he, he I mean... One of the biggest stars that come out of it, but also his lines are iconic. I mean, there's, you know, uh, I get older, they stay the same age. Oh. Is, uh, <laughs> it's a dangerous line to be saying in this world. Yeah, Leonardo but, you know, DiCaprio's mantra. <laughs> it is Leonardo DiCaprio's <laughs> mantra. And and George Clooney's for quite some time. Oh, yes. uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it definitely feels like um, it's a time capsule movie, too, which is kind of funny because the movie comes out in 93, uh, I think. I think it's 93. Um, and I vividly remember, I was 13 when it came out. I couldn't see it in theaters, which is insane. I don't know why that movie's really, like, they spoke a bunch of pot, but like, yeah, that's it. Um, but I couldn't see it in theaters. I remember I saw it on video cassette. Um, and I just remember all the older kids that like the, the camp counselors at the summer camp that I went to or uh, the, the video store clerks that worked at the video store, all the cool kids, <laughs> they all got to see Dazed and Confused and I couldn't see it yet. Um, and then I remember watching it and at 13 just kind of being like, I mean, okay. Like, I mean, it just, it, it took a couple years for it to really hit me as to like what was so special about it. I think I saw this movie when I was like 20 years old. And I don't remember walking away from it thinking that was an amazing movie, but I bet if I watched it now, <laughs> it would have a completely different meaning for me. 
I think you'd really respect it today. I think that it's it's a. I, I mean, as is the case with, I'm sure this happens to you all the time on your podcast and all the time in life. But like, the types of movies that got made and how finite that is now. Um, you know, this is a movie that if it came out today is probably an A24 movie. Yeah. And it's probably had, and, and it probably needs to have a horror component or something to it. Like, the, I mean, and I say this not to be derisive or, or, or what have you, but like a body's body's bodies for all intents and purposes is kind of dazed and confused in terms of the sense that it's a compressed timeline. It's a bunch of kids. They're all kind of talking about the state of the world. Like it just so happens that they're also, you know, is a murder. Like it's, it's, <laughs> One crazy you know, night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The uh, anti-slasher. My number one, though, ultimately, when you said one crazy night, this is this the... is fascinating to me. I'm okay. <laughs> this is the second one that popped into my head. The first one okay. that popped into my head, I think, would be number one on most people's lists, and I'm hoping it's it's on yours. Because if not, uh-huh. like, we're gonna have to definitely <laughs> okay. talk about it in, in our honorable mentions. Okay. The the tension in this is so great that. It's become one of my favorite movies over the last 10 years, and I have watched it multiple times with multiple people just to to sit next to them and get their reaction as things are going down. I think I can guess what this is, but I'm... Oh, well, I, well I, let's, let's have a guess without the trailers. Green Room? Green Room, you nailed it. You nailed it. Okay, I'm with the Eight Rights from Washington, D.C. You guys are hard to find. Why no social media presence? The music is shared live. It's time and aggression. You got to be there. Sorry, guys. Got to clear out. Follow me. And then it's over. Holy shit. I told you to follow Keep us here and gotta let us go. We're not keeping you, you're just staying. We're so fucking dead, guys. What do we do? Oh shit. This will be over soon, gentlemen. Oh man. Uh, alright, so the trailers I would I would show. Assault on Precinct 13 from 76. <laughs> uh, American History X. Yeah. And Suburbia. Those are the the three trailers yeah, that I would yeah. Be those are the right those are the right trailers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so you've seen this movie. I so I'll tell you my experience with Green Room very quickly. Okay. Before you talk about it, um, first of all, great movie, great great pick. It's it's on my honorable mentions. Um, I had no idea what I was walking into. Um, I remember I saw the ArcLight in L.A. I had a buddy who had said that this filmmaker, Jeremy Saulnier, who directed it and wrote it, is this great, great filmmaker, blah, blah, blah. I might have watched the trailer, maybe. I'm not even sure I did. (laughs) I needed a fucking Xanax by the end of this movie. (laughs) Like, by the end of this movie, I was just like, there was a part of the film... I want to say like an hour, hour 20 into the film. I, I honestly like kind of stopped looking at the screen. I started just kind of like looking at my surroundings, just trying desperately to escape from this fucking movie. It is, it's incredible, but I don't know that I could ever watch it again. Dude, it's, <laughs> it's one of those movies that the intensity is ratcheted up 
and you don't think it can go any higher, and then it just does. It's one of those movies that afterwards you feel exhausted having watched it. It's like Uncut Gems. It's like Good Times, which is not on my list, but like there could have been. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those movies that just leaves you exhausted. It it truly kicked the shit out of me. And you bring (laughs) up Good Time, which is another movie that I also knew nothing about when I walked into it. And my buddy was like, we should go and see it. And by the end of that, I was just like truly exhausted. Like both of these films. I think the thing about Green Room for me uh, being Jewish, uh, you're just like, uh, like you're just the idea of being trapped in the fucking woods with a bunch of white supremacists or skinheads. You're just like n- nightmare, nightmare scenario. It's a nightmare just playing a song there and then other things. So like I've been dying to talk about this movie on this show. It's like, okay, what could this, what could this come up on? It could come up on <laughs> actors playing against type with Patrick Stewart. Yes. It could yes. come up with uh, top five like movie bands. It could come up sure. on movies with uh-huh. a color in the title. Like there's so many different lists this could come up on, and nobody brought it up. So I was like, <laughs> you know what? It's a one crazy night. Phil, now's the time. It's Do it. <laughs> it's about this punk band. They're called the Ain't Rights. There are uh, Pat, Sam, Reese, and Tiger, and they're on a cross-country tour. You can tell they're not making much on these things. They're really getting enough money to just keep going, and and you can tell that in the very first scene where they uh, they siphon gas to like keep going. <laughs> and they have a gig canceled in Portland, which when you're on this like every gig pays for my next gig, that's that's trouble. And they know this radio DJ in the area, and he sets them up with an alternate gig. It's out in the sticks, but like I said, these these cats need the money, so. When they get there, they realize it's a neo-Nazi skinhead bar. And I mean, obviously, they're, they're like, do we play it? Well, we, we need the money. We got to play it. So they go in. And you can tell right away these guys have some balls because they play a cover of Napalm Death's Nazi Punks Fuck Off. And it's amazing. I mean, it is. But I will say, though, it doesn't feel like the band is entirely on board doing it. They, like, it oh, does yeah, seem no, no. as though, like, Alia Shawkat in particular is like, this is a bad idea. Yeah, her and and uh, Anton Yelchin are, like, uh, are like <laughs> really on the edge. But you have, uh, uh, what's his name, Reese. He's, like, the real kind of hothead, like, I yeah. will fight these guys. I'll fight all of them and win. Yeah. He's like, we're going to do this. And the other guy's in on it, too. And they, they go they go in. But uh, after they're done, like it seems like they kind of win over the crowd with the balls that they have in that scene because they play the like there are bottles being thrown at him. But afterwards, people are moshing to their to their stuff and and everything seems like it's all right. But then when it's time to go, they go into the green. Well, Pat goes into the green room to get Sam's cell phone and he sees a young girl that's been stabbed to death in the green room. And so they're all herded into the green room and then they're like locked in there with one of the bodyguards and then they go to the skinhead boss Darcy who's p- played amazingly by Patrick Stewart and he's like we got to figure out what to do with these guys and the rest yeah. of- well they figured out pretty quickly that they need to kill them <laughs> yeah he- basically the gist of it yeah they, they so they set up like a side story that they're going to tell the cops but nobody knows this band is out here really so they're you know, it is what it is. So they spend the rest of the night trying to get out of the green room with the dead girl's friend. Played by Imogen Poots, who's fantastic in it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's great. And things do not go well for anybody. It's uh, guns, machetes, fucking box cutters, dogs. <laughs> this is the thing. 
so <laughs> I the the moment for me when I was like, uh oh, I don't think I should be here. <laughs> like there was this because like I'm I am I have to be honest, I'm a pretty anxious person. I don't like <laughs> horror movies. I've gotten better about it, but I don't I don't like being trapped in a theater with it. I can watch them at home for the most part. Um but the moment with the box cutter on the arm oh, mm-hmm, base, mm-hmm. is the moment was like, oh no. <laughs> like I was like, I'm in a bad I'm in a I'm in a movie that really is gonna go there. Um and the gore, like this is the thing about it's one thing to do gore that is heightened and crazy. Your your Peter Jacksons or what have you. I can get on board with that shit all day fucking long. <laughs> This shit is realistic, yeah, and that makes it fucking terrifying. Like that arm makeup that they do after the box cutter on Anton Yelchin's arm. Um, the 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 when people get shot, like it is, it is really really scary gore because you're just like, oh, that's what it's like if it happens. It's gruesome, but it's also not gratuitous which i think is where the where the like real fear comes in because they don't linger on this stuff it's just like this terrible thing happened to his arm and now that's what his arm is that's what his arm looks like that now (laughs) and he needs to live with his arm like that and you're just like oh cool i want out of this like it's just there's also i mean you, you said it obviously in the in the synopsis but it needs to sort of be said green rooms are small Mm -hmm. generally speaking they are in a tiny fucking room with a giant fucking neo-Nazi bodyguard and a body, like a dead person, a friend of the dead person who's freaking out that her friend is dead. They're, the panic has set in, but also just the, the logistics have set in, which is we're in the middle of nowhere and we're trapped in a box. How the fuck do we get out of here? Yeah. And there's so many, there's like 50 of them Whoa. and four of us. <laughs> and we've pissed them off like right out of the gate the first thing we did was thumb them in the eye and be like we don't respect your fucking insane values or whatever the fuck they believe in it, it, it's it is a chilling movie like it is one of those movies where uh it kind of gets in your dna and you can't really shake it mm-hmm. yep and that's that's why I love watching it with other people now because I'm so I I know what's coming so I I, I got it but for a lot of people it's like when that scene with the arm happens yes and then also how could it get any worse the dogs and that's uh, you get you know somebody getting chewed in the neck with a, a Rottweiler or whatever it's, it's insane it's also um no one safe no one like, it becomes clear to you as an audience member very early on, don't care about these people because they <laughs> all could die. Yep. And that, as an audience member, is also just really disheartening. Sure. Because you're just like, you want something to hold on to. You want a hero. And and I guess conceivably, I mean, no spoilers, but like, there are people that survive, but they're shells of who they were at the beginning of this movie. Oh yeah. And they'll never be the same. I guess they'll never be the same again. It really is just a, it's a, it's a kick-ass movie. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad I saw it. And I've often thought about rewatching it. And then I'm just like, I don't know, man, <laughs> do I need that? Like it's, it's so, but yeah, 
I, I am drawn to movies like that, which is why I like to watch sure. it with other people just to get their reactions. Now, I wouldn't, sh- I wouldn't show my wife, but uh, you know, I've watched it with many friends, and I've watched. I made my dad watch it, and that was fun. My dad's just like, "What? Are you, what are we watching this for?" I've never made anybody watch. I mean, I know what you're saying. There is a thrill that I think. Not necessarily movies like this, but like watching people watch things you love for the first time. Yeah. And the the kind of the excitement and the surprises that come with that. That's a harrowing fucking movie, dude. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> it really is. Number one for you. I have a guess, but I'm I'm gonna hold my guess until you I mean, it. it's kind of obvious to me, I guess, on some level, I or, hope. or maybe basic or whatever the right you wanna you wanna take a guess? I'm hoping it's after hours. It is after hours. Why don't you just go home? I've been asking myself that one all night long. So what happened? Why can't you? I met this girl tonight, okay, in a coffee shop. I feel like something incredible is really going to happen here. (laughs) So when I got home, I gave her a call. On the cab on the way down here, all my money flew out the window. I didn't really get along with her that well. What's the matter? I said, I want to see a plaster of Paris bagel and cream cheese paperweight. Now cough it up. So I left. So I haven't got enough money to get home until I meet this bartender who wanted to lend me the money. That's all right. That's all right. Forget it. Forget it. That's all right. Good boy. So I go back to the girl's apartment, but her roommate's really pissed off at me for the way I treated her friend. This the guy? Hi. So I march right in there to apologize. Come on. But she'd already killed herself. I was too late. Oh, wow. Lighten up. What is this? I'm in big trouble. I mean, big trouble. It's, I mean, it is, I think you go down the, you know, you, if you, uh, go and ask someone who works at a video store or works at a movie theater or any of your cinephile friends and like one crazy night, what's the movie? They're probably going to pick after hours. Um, it is, uh, the, the, the general kind of idea of this movie is, uh, Griffin Dunn, this actor, uh, a great actor who's been in a bunch of recently is, was on succession. Um, a director in his own right, uh, basically meets a hot girl, goes back to her place, um, but something feels off and he can't really figure out what it is. Um, And there's like, I'm trying to like, there's medication for like burns and stuff. (laughs) Uh And like, it's, it's got this very sort of like uh, dark, component and he's like i should get out of here long story short loses his wallet loses all of his money and it's just about him trying to survive over the course of this evening he just wants to get home um he just wants to he just wants to get home um back in the day without cell phones uh you needed cash uh to get a fucking cab to get the fuck out of where he is um and he is stuck in this like circle of hell it feels like with uh, just a, a whole litany of incredible character actors giving these kind of episodic performances. You know, Linda Fiorentino, um, uh, Rosanna Arquette, Arquette, Rosanna Arquette uh, Catherine O'Hara. Uh, like, it's just everyone's in this thing. Um, and the movie, I think, does um, everything to some degree that Green Room does, which is there's this unerring sense of impending doom Mm -hmm. that's hanging over this movie it needs to be said as well this movie is directed by martin scorsese um 
at a time in his career where I think he was a little unsure, like what the next move was. Yeah, he's between like two amazing hits, Raging Bull on one side and Goodfellas on the other. Correct. And like Last Temptation of Christ, I believe, is somewhere in there as well. Yeah, I think he's trying to get that made for him at this time. Or he's trying to get that made even maybe at the time. Um, And it's was supposed to be directed by Tim Burton. I heard that. Um, Tim Burton had the script. He was going to make it. And then he doesn't make it. I think he does Beetlejuice instead, if I'm not mistaken. Um, or, or Scorsese shows interest in the script and Tim Burton backs away and says, like, please, like, I'm not going to get in the way of Scorsese doing this movie. Um, and I think at the time it was considered a bit of a slight Scorsese movie. Like, it didn't really make a ton of money. No one really knew what to do with it. It had a very sort of um, King of Comedy-esque dark comedic vibe to it that I think people didn't really know what to do with. Didn't have any stars in it. Um, But it's fucking amazing. And it's also just like, and I think this, this, this also feeds into green room. Um, There's your, your humanity. If you have it is just watching him being like, please just get home, get (laughs) home. I just, I really want it all to be okay. And Green Room has a similar vibe, obviously far more extreme and far more violent and scary. But like you're really, that's what makes it so harrowing to watch is when your humanity is on the line and you're just like, I just feel bad. I just want these people to be okay. And I think with Griffin Dunn's character in this, um, you just, you can't help but sort of be taken with this kind of schmageggy, kind of schmuck guy who's just yeah, sort of like... he's not a good guy. He's not a good guy. He's not He's not a total shithead. Right. But he's also just like, like you don't wish ill will for him, but you're also like, am I pulling for this guy? Yeah, like I wouldn't hang out with the guy. But yeah, the no. End, like, I really want him to get home. <laughs> but it, yeah, and there's just like things in it. One of the moments that I feel like the internet has really kind of wrapped its arms around that I feel like really kind of encapsulates this movie is he's in a bathroom. Uh, I believe he's in a bathroom stall. He's at a urinal and he's peeing. And someone has drawn a picture of a shark biting a guy's dick. (laughs) And you're just like, that's this guy. Like, this guy is just trapped in this weird fucking thing that he can't get out of. Um, It's tremendous. It just came out on Criterion as well. They just did an edition of it. Uh, Highly recommend all your listeners check out After Hours. It's tremendous. Yeah, Scorsese, I think everybody knows he has a movie coming out soon. And when he has a movie coming out, there tends to be this reassessment of all his movies that came before. And with the Criterion Collection, I think this is going to be getting a lot more attention than it has. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Scorsese has had a had a couple Criterions mm-hmm. previously. I know that Last Temptation had a Criterion edition that subsequently... Raging Bull. Raging Bull has one right now. Mean Streets has one um, coming. Mean Streets has one coming. Um, yeah, I... I mean, he's one of our greatest living filmmakers, you know, and and uh, I think After Hours is, I mean, it, it's probably, it's definitely my top 10. I don't know if it gets into my top five, but it's it's certainly up there. I, it, it's a it's a wacky fucking movie, man. Yeah. And I do think too, like, you know, it's funny because um, King of Comedy comes out, forgive me, I think it's after this, right? After Hours is right after the King of Comedy. So he does okay. Raging Bull, King of Comedy, After Hours. So these movies are like right next to each other. And I really think that's 
that's his fucking style of comedy. And he doesn't really come back to it until Wolf of Wall Street, mm-hmm. which is also in a similar vein of like, just like shithead people being fucking insane. And like his, his brand of comedy is so dark. Yeah. But there's kind of no one else. I mean, I ultimately think that like Tarantino is really just kind of Scorsese's comedy. Right. He draws from up. it for sure. Yeah, like it has that kind of. So yeah, I just I was just looking at that this and being like, I think Bringing Out the Dead is one of his most underrated movies, and is also a very darkly comedic film. So I think that like there is that sort of lane in his filmography that After Hours certainly feels like it falls into. But yeah, love After Hours. I'm glad that you brought it up. This is the one where I took it off my list at the last minute, and it was like, you know, I. I I respect it. I respect it. I mean, because like you don't want too much crossover, right? Right. And like it's your it's your podcast, so you want to fucking take some swings and talk about movies you want to talk about. I get it. And it's one of those things where if you went first and it wasn't your number one, I probably would have just made it my number one so we could talk about it. So I'm glad that it's on your list. It's right. it feels like um if you're a video game player and you play these games where like there's yes, side yes. quests and fetch quests that get more bizarre and more bizarre as you go, that's what this feels like. It's like vignettes of this dude going on side quest to side quest just to try and get home. And like you said, it is like the side characters are so amazing. It's very, yeah, I guess that's, it's actually a really kind of perfect way of putting it. It's that mixed with like a first person shooter yeah. in the sense that you're like in their PO, like you're one person through this whole thing. Um, and I, and to your, your really great uh, analogy of the, of the, of sort of the, the quest of getting things and all the conversations that he has, he gets fucking nothing out of them. <laughs> yeah. Like it's the exact opposite of what this sort of like trying to figure out like what's my next step. Every single one of these conversations is useless to him in terms of getting it all. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. It is. It's like a homage to Wizard of Oz in a lot of ways. It's it's just, you know, it's, it's a really great movie. And I know there are a lot of people out there who are not 100% up on Scorsese. I think you can tell from both Phil and my conversation here, like we're both big fans. We both really recommend watching this movie. If you've never seen it, it's a lot of screwball comedy. If you like the, the um, gosh, what would I, you said Wolf of Wall Street, like the Quaalude scene in Wolf of Wall Street. It's like yeah. an hour and 45 minutes of that. It's that, <laughs> yeah. And, and also if you, you know, something that, Scorsese is known for obviously is his camera work. Yeah, um, you know what I mean. And and I think that it's clear to me that he's drawn towards uh, obviously the whole spectrum of of film, and his he's such a connoisseur of the entire history of cinema. But there's certain projects that allow him to be kind of quote unquote zanier with the way that they're made. And this is one of those movies that has like a lot of almost Raimi esque crazy kind of undercranked camera movements and like just doing all kinds of wacky stuff and i think my assumption anyway is that at that time in his career he was probably looking for an opportunity to just sort of you know how do i shake out all the shit and just (laughs) yeah do some do some crazy shit yeah still looks awesome though oh man so we did not cross over at all we got uh some amazing films i know we got some honorable mentions to talk about but let's run down our list real quick for the listeners and i will go first at number five i had wayne kramer's running scared from 2006 at number four i had game night from 2017 at number three i had judgment night from 93 at number two i had adventures in babysitting from 87 and at number one i had green room from 2016 
God, that came out in 2016 on top of everything else. Because, like, of course it comes out in the worst fucking year <laughs> that's ever happened. You know, I, I actually think it's... I wrote down 2016, but I think it was 2015. So it was, like, right oh, on the cusp okay. of Right on disaster. the cusp of everything being terrible. <laughs> uh, I had 25th Hour at 5, American Graffiti at 4, Die Hard at 3, Days and Confused at 2, and After Hours at 1. Oh, man. This would be, like, a killer One Crazy Night film festival right here. <laughs> it really would be. <laughs> Uh, all right, so you yeah. you mentioned you had some honorable mentions. What, what did you I have? I do, there? I do. Um, we you know we had three you that you've already spoke of. Um, Game night, adventures in babysitting, green room were all on my honorable mentions. Uh, the two other ones that are worth mentioning. Um, the first one is super bad. You know, I think the super bad is uh, a really fun movie. Um, some stuff ages poorly. Some of it doesn't. That being said, um, it is kind of i would argue the crazy night that the kids from days to confuse probably wish they were <laughs> sure right like yeah. it's it's just things are happening and crazy shit's going on and and it's just all kind of a little bit more heightened and a little bit crazier but fundamentally i think and one of the things that apatow and, and the movies that he's produced you know have that really great three-dimensional characters that you really care and love about uh, love have a love for um, and so I really, I, I, super bad's on there. Um, my other one is the other Richard Linklater film that it pained me not to have in my top five, but I couldn't give him two slots of my top five, which is Before Sunrise. Um, one of my favorite films ever made. You know, I talked earlier about how Linklater's got a spotty filmography for me, but the movies of his that I love, I fucking adore and are in like literally the, the canon of my favorite films. Yeah. And Before Sunrise is a film that I adore with every ounce of my being um it is also um similar to you know american graffiti or days of confuse a very talky movie um but that compressed timeline of one night and what if the person you were meant to spend the rest of your life with you met for one night in austria before you both go your separate ways um and obviously hopefully people know that there are three films before sunset before midnight where you can actually see celine and jesse's you know, continued relationship. But um, when I saw Before Sunrise in 1995 in the theater uh, and watched it innumerable times after that, uh, I did not know there was a sequel coming in uh, 2004. Uh, I just thought that this is what happens. They kiss, they say they're going to meet in a year's time, and we never know if they meet or if they get back together. And and uh, But I can't sort of stress enough how... Um, human and genuine we've all been at one point or another in our lives had a night with a person that felt like the fucking planets were aligning the stars were shining down on you and and i don't necessarily need it needed to be romantic it could be just a person you a fucking friend or whatever but someone that you connected with um that just makes you go like everything's different now um and this is one of those movies and and so anyway, I could talk about Before Sunrise <laughs> hours. So I'm not, I'm not going to do that to you. But yeah. And that's an interesting pick, too, because all the dramatics really are internal versus the external on that one. It's not like they're you're not like, are they going to make their planes or are they going to make the train? Like you just, there's no ticking clock in that sense. It's just the time that they get to spend until they have to part. There is uh, one of the best moments in the film um, is at the end. um 
I can't remember who asked who, but one of them are like, so well, who's the first person you're going to call when you get home? And one of them goes like, oh, fuck. Like, now I'm – like, that broke it. Yeah. Right? Like, now it's like the, the illusion's gone. I'm thinking about real life again. Um, and it, it it's – that's the power of movies, you know? Uh, a couple others that weren't mentioned. There, there's one that I was real close to having on my list, but it just seems so similar to a lot of them. And uh, it pains me leaving it off, but 1979's The Warriors, the Walter Hill movie. Great movie. Yeah, great. Soon to be movie. a musical. Oh, really? And directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm in. I'll give him a chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had the... Uh, the more modern equivalent of Superbad, Booksmart, which is, uh, in my opinion, I like that more than Superbad. I've never connected with Superbad. It's in that weird area between like uh, American Pie and and Booksmart where I, it, I just didn't connect with me. Um, I get that. His Girl Friday all takes place in one night, and that's a that's really fantastic like that. screwball yeah. comedy. Um, yeah. And then I had Collateral on my short list with Tom Cruise. That was... that that. It was also one I strongly considered. Um, a movie that I didn't love when it came out and grew to like as I kind of rewatched it. Um, I remember at the time, and I would still say it still bumps me a little bit, but less so every time I watch it. The third act is a little clunky. Sure. Yeah. Um, there's just, there's, there's a lot of coincidences that are kind of happening in order for us to get where we need to go. Um, but, uh, I mean, Tom Cruise fucking rules in it. He's great as a villain. I really wish yeah. he would play more villains. And I don't think he's ever been more violent on screen. No. I also don't know that we've seen him die on screen. I think this is the only one where he dies on screen. That's that. I mean, outside of him being resuscitated many times over in Mission Impossible movies. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, yeah, I'm trying to think of like... I ultimately think it might be the only time he's gone like down that road. Well, he's never plays um, he never plays villains. He never plays villains and and oddly doesn't believe in like the sacrifice elements in the same way. Like I think that there's a lot of people actors and actresses of his ilk of his sort of level of fame if you want to say that whose characters they're okay sacrificing themselves for the greater good. And yet, um, Tom Cruise's characters do that. They just never die for it. Yeah. Well, we'll see in the next Mission Impossible movie, I guess. I, I, I wouldn't hold your <laughs> breath on him dying. <laughs> um, one other one that I wanted to mention that yeah. my my wife was like, this would be a, one that I would put on my list. I was like, oh, that's a really interesting choice. It's Peter Pan. Peter Pan. Technically, it's... Really? Yeah, yeah I guess that's true. It's one crazy I night. I guess that's true. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I guess I never thought about it that way. I mean, it really is. Um, it is an interesting theme. It, it's it's more uh, uh, flexible, malleable than than I initially had uh, had thought of it when I you know when I first proposed it. Yeah, that's why I really had to narrow things down on my side. <laughs> it got really tough. <laughs> like I was just like, "Fuck me!" And then I also was like, thinking like, "What's what's Jason gonna pick?" And then I was like, "Do I pick the obvious ones?" But then I'm just like, "They're kind of obvious because." There's a reason why, you know what I mean? But anyway. I think we had a good mix. All right, Phil, we got to do some plugs here before we get you out of here. Um, What's coming up on Podcast Like It's? Basically, October, we've got a couple Halloween things. Uh, Dead Alive, 
the Peter Jackson film. Um, we're doing Dr. Giggles, everyone's favorite horror film. Um, That's like a video store classic right there, right alongside Judgment (laughs) I've never seen it, so I'm I'm excited to watch Dr. Giggles. All right. Um, And then uh, on the Patreon, um, I did Poltergeist, the original, and then the remake. Um, The remake is not great, but the original is a Stone Cold classic. Um, And then, you know, we've got some stuff that we're recording coming up. We recorded, uh, got the Crying Game coming up. We have um, uh, Deep Cover. Uh, we have Unforgiven. There's there's some there's some bangers coming coming down the road. Um, I uh, also have a Patreon on um, Talented Mr. Ripley and Gone Girl. Nice. Uh, which was kind of, in my opinion, maybe the best double bill, the most perfect kind of double bill that that, that, that I've done so far. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's what we've got coming out, and um, people can listen to us wherever they listen to podcasts. Um, at podcast like it's dot 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 and of course links to everything will be in the show notes so go check out phil and, that and his too. show yeah, and yeah. everything he has to offer and they can uh they can follow me at uh i'm not calling it x on twitter i'm at pm iscove uh i'm also at uh on instagram at that as well and threads and whatever the fuck else you know, <laughs> all the sky, places if you're on those things all the places and then uh podcast like it's is also on all those various things as well and those will be in the show notes too What are some of your favorite One Crazy Night films? Both me and Phil would love to know. Find me on Twitter at Force5Pod, on Instagram at Force5Podcast, on Blue Sky at Force5Podcast, on Threads at Force5Podcast. Pretty much everywhere you you look, it's Force5Podcast. Of course, links to everything Force5 and Phil Iscove slash podcast like it's are going to be in the show notes please go check out his show it's amazing if you'd like to support me it does not cost you a thing but a minute and a half of your time review the show where you're listening follow me on social media tell your friends about force five that's it that's all you got to do really helps me out the force five theme song comes courtesy of nate spears and the top five list bumper was produced by me with music from audio binger until next time stay safe stay sane and go watch some films about one crazy night (laughs) 